Hi, welcome to church, especially if it's your first time, a very, very warm welcome. And if you're online, it's great to see you. Hope you're having a great summer. Why don't you take a seat? And uh, just before you sit down, I'll start. Stand back up again. No, stand back up again. No, come on, stand up. It's good for the circulation. Say, why don't you turn around, say hello to somebody, and then sit down. That's much more friendly. Come on, that's, that's good. Let's do that. I can find my place. Excellent. It's good to see you. And um, it's great to, great to be back. Really is. Holidays are good, but you can't stay on holiday forever. And uh, it's great. Good. Uh, yeah, we, we went to Portugal for a, f- a few days, which was, which was fun. And uh, um, now, I know looking at me, I don't look sporty or active. But I just, just want to let you know that I'm always game to have a go at everything. So my kids decided they want to do some surfing lessons. Surfing lessons. And um, so uh, we had some instruction, got taught on dry land, how to jump on a board, which on dry land, guys, is easy. It's really simple, it's straightforward, you never fall off, the board's solid. And um, we got taught the poses, what to do, look forward, don't get too high. And then they get in the water. And you have to try and get up. And now, I just want to honor my, my two children, my two younger ones. Um, Abby, Abby's so light, it doesn't matter where she gets on the board, it holds her weight. So she can get on the board and then kind of wander around it slightly until she finds a suitable place and carry on. Thomas, who's a, who's a little bit heavier, but agile and nimble, found the right spot pretty much every time and glided across the waves. And I would like to say, that I did manage to get on the board. <laughs> and to prove it, all be well, we have a video of me surf, surfing-ish. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> yes, my instructor said I have a few issues to overcome. One is I'm a little heavy. Two, um, you're supposed to sand with your front leg at 12 o'clock, or whatever it is. I I was more about 11 or 10, which makes you unstable. And then I wasn't very flexible. So for for you guys who haven't tried, you have to get your, you put your, you kind of, your back, and then you have to get the other one through. And I'm not flexible enough. So uh, I have a little challenge for you all. So I'm hoping to go surfing next summer. Uh, You need to pray that I lose a little bit of weight. And I get a little bit more flexible. No, pr- prayer, prayer helps everything, Shell. I, I know it's supposed to be hard work, but prayer helps everything. And I'm hoping this time next year, I'll be before you, a little thinner, a little more flexible, and there'll be a picture of me floating <laughs> across the waves. If I'm not, you know, it's a ter- it didn't work. Anyway, there we go. I do hope you've all had a good holiday. We had... A really, really good time. Um, over summer, we're looking at the book of Genesis. For those of you who are part of our regular church, we've, been, uh, we've just started a seven-year program of going through every single book of the Bible on a Sundays or in our connect groups. And we're in uh, this particular season in the book of Genesis, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Those of you who've been here often, if you haven't, I hope you've been picking them up online and things like that. And uh, I've got the final message, and I'm going to have a look at Joseph. And my title is this, Joseph, God's Joseph and God's hand in human history. 
Joseph and God's hand in human history. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read a couple of Bible verses and get stuck in. Father, I want to thank you so much that you are here. Father, I thank you that you love each one of us here individually, but you also love us together as a corporate family, as a church. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us both individually and together. And Father, I pray that you may not just reveal but speak to us and change us to become more like the people that you created us to be. Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you in this moment. And as been already been preached, that we would hold nothing back, but understand that actually we should give everything because the kingdom is worth everything that we have and more. And Father, pray for any here or any online who are listening to my voice who don't know you. Father, speak to them too, we pray, that they may come to realize there is a God in heaven and on earth who loves them, desire a relationship with them and send Jesus so they could get to know you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, these words, the very end of Joseph's life. Joseph said to them, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Romans 8, verse 20, 28. Some of you will know this verse, Romans 8, 28, says this. Um, and we know that in all things, God works for, good of, for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph says at the end of, well, not the end of his life, uh, just after his father's die, he, he says, look, you're worried about something, don't worry. God's intended this all for good. God had a plan. And then it says in Romans and the New Testament, but, um, Paul writing this, it says, look, God can use everything in your life for good. Why? Because God has a plan. And God has a plan. He's always had a plan because God has a hand in history. He began it and he will finish it. He has an, an end game in sight. Romans 21 verse 1 says that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth will get washed away. Revelation 21 verse 4 said that sometimes you should be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. It will all be done. There'll be a new order of things. And as our world goes along, God hasn't left it. He's still involved in it. Now, theologians have been discussing forever, so I'm not going to come to any conclusions this evening, about exactly how much interfering God does. There's some theologians over here would go, well, God's got it all planned, and we just kind of, we do our bit, and it's unlucky, and it's just unlucky, basically. You've got no choice. Whatever's happening tomorrow, Jerry, it's going to happen tomorrow, and it's already planned, and yeah, unlucky, you know. Others, a bit more like, yeah, well, God doesn't really do much at all. He just kind of lets it go, and what happens, and, and, then, and then somewhere in the middle, depending where you want to be middle-ish, there's this idea that God, in general, lets you make decisions. If you want to basically do something foolish, idiotic, God goes, oh, it's okay, you can do that. See, I, I don't believe that God has, in, has kind of preordained what socks I'm going to pick in the morning. See, I'm pretty sure God's chilled which socks I pick in the morning. I don't think there's a, like a, a God's plan burning moment, you know. Whatever it is. So I, th I think God gives us quite a lot of flexibility, including whether we want to follow him or not. But I do think God interferes because in, he has a plan. 
You know, it's a plan. He knew the start of creation that we'd mess up. He knew he'd have to send Jesus to come, as it were, to live a life, to say hello, to demonstrate what God is like, eventually to die on the cross in our place rather than us. God said, I will send my son and he will die for you. He knew that the resurrection. I'm pretty sure he knew the 12 disciples beforehand. And all. There's lots of things. Well, actually, God knows everything. But, but you know, I'm sure it's a plan. And he does seem to interfere very profoundly at times. It's like we read, well, we all know the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And Moses gets to the Red Sea. And he holds up his staff and parts the waters. Well, it wasn't Moses parting the waters left from right, right? It was God interfering in human nature pretty significantly to get the whole nation to maybe two, three million people across through the dry ground. So he does interfere. I think he even interferes in people's lives. The Apostle Paul, we read, had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And uh, so much so, it utterly changed his life. I mean, that was a pretty serious interfering in, God's, in Paul's life, right? And it radically changed. So I think God does. Because he has a plan. And all of us fit into this plan one way or another. Though I think we have a lot of choice. But the story of Joseph indicates that if you love God, what it does incorporates your life into his plan for good and not for evil. He incorporates so that his plan can be fulfilled through you and in you and into your family's life. Because God has a plan. Romans 8:28, for God works for good. Romans 5, you intended it for harm, says Joseph, but God... He intended it for good. But how did Joseph get to Genesis chapter 50? How did he get to the point where his brothers were scared that he was going to do something bad to them and he had to say it's all going right? Well, Joseph was born in Syria, modern-day Syria, somewhere. Age of six, he traveled into Canaan with his family. And it seems for about 11 years he lived a pretty ordinary life desert tent-dwelling life. Not that we really know what that means anymore, but whatever that looks like for 11 years was that. He was his father's precious boy, born from his favorite wife and concubine. He had two wives and two concubines. His favorite. And so much so that we don't know when, but at some point before he got to the age of 17, he had a richly ornamented robe made for him, the coat of many colors, as according to the song. And, um, and to show his love and his, his kind of care for him. And um, he was probably spoiled, right? You know the spoiled children? Somebody going, yeah, my baby sister or baby son, they were, you know, baby brother was spoiled. But he was spoiled. He was very spoiled. And he, he had dreams. He had dreams. And uh, I just want to read one of his dreams. So I'm in Genesis chapter 37. And I want to read from verses 5 through to 9. He, he had dreams uh, which confirmed to him his elevated status among the family. It says this, Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up high, stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around and bowed down before me, lowered themselves down to me. And then he told another story about the sun and the moon and the stars and how they were going to bow down to him and all that kind of thing. His brothers were pretty ticked with him. So much so, very soon after this, you don't know how soon, days, weeks, months, 
Um, when Joseph was sent to go and take supplies to them, they grabbed him, chucked him in a dry pit, and then sold him to the Midianites. I just worked, so we're in uh, 37 verse 28. And uh, it says this. So when the Midianites merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who were taken, who were going to Egypt and took him to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver? I looked that up, just in case you're wondering how valuable his brothers thought their brother was. Now, don't be too disappointed in them. It was a long time ago. Eight shekels is seemingly, uh, tw- 20 shekels is seemingly eight ounces. According to the website this afternoon, it's, uh, silver is going for $18.91 an ounce. $18.91 an ounce, times about eight, that's $151.28. Uh, which in English pounds, if you do 85p to the pound, just thought I'd get that out there for you scientists, is 128 pounds 75. So they sold their brother for 128 quid. What can you buy for 128 quid? It's like nothing. It's like, why didn't they keep him? It's like, it's barely worth selling, was he? You, could, you, can't, you can't buy much. 128 quid. Wouldn't be worth selling your brother's door, would it, Isaac, really? Not, not really. Anyway, he got sold. The, uh, the Midianites took him to Egypt, chucked him in a slave sail. Potiphar, the captain of the Pharaoh's guard, bought him. And, um, but something happened. He wasn't, Joseph wasn't cross or mad, or at least he didn't demonstrate it. He worked hard. And it says in chapter 39, um, in verse 7, that something had happened. He'd been sold as a young slave, 17, just a baby. Um, but... <coughs> A few years later on, 39, verse 5, it says this, From this time forward, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household and all that he owned. And the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left everything to Joseph's care, everything he had. But Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Isn't that amazing? This young 17-year-old, badly treated, sold as a slave for 120 quid, worked hard, rose through the ranks, and became chief steward of the house. A very important position. Unfortunately, the Bible says he was handsome, and women liked him. Women wanted him. Potiphar's wife desired him a lot, a lot. And the Bible says that she pestered him day after day. Now, Remember in those days, slaves were a bit more fair game, right? I know it sounds terrible, but if you've done any history, you know in those days that slaves were a bit more fair game for uh, sexual favors, shall we call them. And Potiphar wanted a bit of a sexual favor from Joseph. And Joseph refused over and over again. This young 20-year-old, beautiful Potiphar's wife, was after him. And... um. Eventually, they, he found, they found themselves alone in a room, and she tried again, grabbed his cloak. Such was the passion of the woman. Amazing, isn't it, really? Unbelievable. Anyway, it's in the Bible. You can read it. Gra- grab the thing. And um, Joseph fled, leaving his cloak behind. And, uh, and um, I presume he's well-dressed underneath, so it was fine. And um, anyway, Potiphar's wife was furious that she'd been rejected yet again told Potiphar that Joseph had attacked her and this slave that he'd entrusted with everything was nothing but bad news and wanted to do bad things with her. So he got thrown into jail. 
<laughs> Bless him for being righteous. Anyway, he went to jail, and then he says in jail, in jail, such was the mark of God on him. Such was his attitude and his hard work and his diligence. He rose up in the ranks of jails until he says in the end, in uh, chapter, chapter 39, verse 20, it says this. Um, While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all for all that was done there. He was in charge of the prison, basically. This prisoner was in charge of the prison. The warden had paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. He kind of rose up and became chief warden's prison officer person. And uh, it was just amazing. amazing. And then we eventually read, um, age 28, so this is 11 years after his first, he has the first encounters of dream interpretation that we read about Again, for those of you who know your Bibles, know that he, there was a cupbearer of the Pharaoh and a baker of the Pharaoh. In chapter 40, you can read that um, the cupbearer had this, had this vision of branches and plucking grapes and pouring, filling a cup and presenting it before the, before the Pharaoh. And Joseph said, yeah, well, this, these three branches are three days, and you're going to actually be reinstated as a cupbearer to the Pharaoh. Can you please remember me when you get there? And the cupbearer went, yeah, yeah, sure. The baker, thinking this was good news, he told her about the story. He talked about three baskets. The top basket was full of stuff, and the birds came and pecked all the stuff out. At which point Joseph went, hmm, not, not good. Um, three baskets, three days. Uh, the kind of birds pecking things, that's the birds pecking your eyes out of your head when it gets departed from your body. Sorry about that. Anyway, three days' time is a Pharaoh's birthday. The cupbearer is restored. And the baker lost his head, and the birds pecked his eyes out, as Joseph had predicted. Two years passed. We've almost finished the story. And um, we read um, that Joseph, age 30, he gets called into the Pharaoh's palace. Uh, the cupbearer has remembered. The Pharaoh's had a dream. Again, you probably remember the dream of the seven fat cow, the seven thin cows, the seven fat cows, the seven thin cows eat the seven fat cows, and they're still as thin, and the seven kind of um, ears of corn, the thin ones come up first, and the fat corns come up, and I don't know how, but the thin ears of corn eat the fat ears of corn, and they're still just as thin, and Joseph is there and interprets this of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and I imagine wondering what in the heck was going on in the Pharaoh's palace after spending all that time in a slavery. And I guess somewhere in the journey of him being appointed basically prime minister of the land, his brother's coming, kneeling down before him, exactly like he said. Eventually, big long story, I haven't got time to do it all, you have to read it. His, his dad comes and uh, he kneels as well because he's the second in command, it's the right thing to do. And how then Joseph gets to look after his family and the whole of Egypt and many other nations, millions and millions of people saved through the interpretation of the dream and Joseph's obedience to God all the way through it. Pharaoh's obviously, well, Pharaoh becomes incredibly rich through it all, amazing, he manages. Basically, by the end of the famine, Pharaoh owns all the land, all the buildings, and even technically owns all the people. By the end of it, you can read it all. But Joseph's family is saved. His dad lives to a ripe old age. Jacob dies when he's about 130. 
this by this point, Joseph's 56. So it's 26 years on, and we come to chapter 50, where once Jacob's gone, the old man's gone, the brothers go. Joseph can now reap revenge on us. There's no reason why he should take care of us. We sold him into slavery. If he's still mad, <laughs> Joseph went, guys, it's been a long time, like a long time. I'm not mad anymore. I can see the hand of God in it. Even though you thought you were doing it out of spite, actually God had a plan. God had a plan, a plan for good, a plan to save your sorry person. He had a plan for you, for my, the family. And um, Joseph's family stayed in Egypt um, for the rest of his time. And eventually, as again you know, he stayed there for 400 years. And in that safe environment, one family became a nation of millions of people. You see, God had a plan, and nobody was stopping it. It's an amazing story. And it's a bit like a movie. I know they have made some movies, haven't they, about it? Yes, with a very movie kind of ending. God had a plan. But why did God pick Moses for the plan? Have you ever wondered about that? Why did God, was it just he happened to be available? Because let's face it, Joseph could have a really stinky attitude when he got to Potiphar's house. It would have been reasonable, right, Rich? Would have been reasonable, right? Been sold into slavery. He's now going to be a menial servant. He's lost his fancy jacket. No longer the favor of the household. He'd have to clean toilets, pick up the camels and sheep's poo and everything. You know, he was the, the you know, he could have had a stinky attitude. Who, who would probably have a stinky attitude if he'd sold into slavery? Come on, honestly, your life's over. You're now a slave. Got to do what you told her. Hold tight time. No money. No money. But he didn't. He had an amazing. Was there some things about Joseph's life that marked him out, which meant God said, I can use this person as part of my plan? Because if Joseph hadn't done it, guess what? God could have found somebody else. Because he had a plan, a plan to save the people, a plan to build a nation safely within the Egyptian borders. He had a plan. So I want to suggest four things very quickly. The first one might surprise you. Joseph believed he was destined to do something significant. Joseph believed he was destined to do something significant. He believed, and he believed he was significant. Joseph believed he was significant. He believed he was worth something. He believed he was valuable. He believed he was important. He believed he was gifted. He was able. He believed he was born for a purpose. He believed he was born he believed he was destined to do something great, to become someone. Whether it was instinctive inside him or his dad's belief in him, but somehow, somehow he managed to know that he was a significant person. He dreamt of it supernaturally, but he dreamt of it. Now, he got stuff wrong. He wasn't arrogant so-and-so, right? He showed off his dream skills. He wasn't perfect. So God's not saying you have to be perfect to be picked for these things. But you do need to believe that you're born for significance. You do need to believe you're born for significance. And if you're a Christian, you should know that you're born for significance. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special people, or a nation set apart for God. 
Romans 8, verse 16 says these words. I'll read them for you. Romans 8, verse 16 says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what, does, what will. Each one of you, if you follow Jesus, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen God. You are significant because you're Christ. And for each one of us to be truly used by God, we need to believe who God calls us and names us. Not who you believe you are or who somebody might tell you, your parents might tell you, teachers might tell you, your boss might tell you. You need to believe what God says about you. And you are significant. Each one of you is significant inside. And Joseph knew this. He knew it inside his soul. He knew it inside his heart. I've been born for something significant. And I believe that this helped him in the tough times. It helped him in the dark times. He knew who he was. He knew who it was. I want to encourage each one of you to start a new time to know who you are in Christ and believe what God says about you, not what you think about yourself or what somebody else says about you. You are significant. You are, you've been born for significance and to do something significant. Secondly, Jesus, uh, Joseph, he did his best wherever he was. He did his best wherever he was. On the farm, the campsite, when his dad said, you need to go and visit your brothers who are miles away, he jumped on a donkey and off he went. When he got slowed into slavery, in Potiphar's house, he was diligent. He was hardworking. He had a good attitude. He was trustworthy. He was moral, so much so, that even though he was a slave, Potiphar said, I can trust this guy with everything I own, with my money, with my slaves, with my property, even with my wife, I can trust him completely. Nothing's going to go wrong because there's a mark of blessing on this young man's life. In the jail, it was the same. He did his best. Didn't go to bits, didn't pity party, didn't sit in the corner. He did his best. He worked hard. He was diligent. He was trustworthy. He made the very best of the situation. I'm a cricket fan. Now, I know most of you aren't cricket fans, so bear with me for a few seconds as we get through the cricket bit. But there's a guy playing for the England team called Jack Leach, who about two of us in the room know, because, but he's a spinner. And uh, he's, he's in and out of the England team, has been over the last few years. And for those of you who know his story, you'll know why. He's got Crohn's disease. He's got Crohn's disease. He's on treatment all the time. There's people with Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is, is an inflammatory bowel disease. And when it strikes you, it's kind of good days and you have bad dip seasons and it's bad. And you get tired and rubbish and everything else and things bleed and it's bad. And, um, and he's on, he's on immunos, immunos, immunosuppressants all the time. And um, he was diagnosed when he was 14. But he had a dream when he was 14. Wanted to play cricket for England. And it's, uh, it's about 30 now. And he, he's in and out of the great team. But he keeps working hard. He keeps being diligent. But he says, this is something he said recently on an interview, which is why I've talked to him. He says this. He said, this could be my last game, so I'm going to make the most of it. 
This could be the last game. I'm going to make the most of it. That's the attitude we need to have as God's children. This could be my last chance. This could be my last moment. I might never get to do this again. I'm going to make sure I do my very best in it. Because it could be the last thing I do. It probably won't, hopefully, right? But it could be. And I think Joseph just had this attitude. This could be the last thing I do. I might, might be a slave for the rest of my life. But I'm going to be the best slave anybody has ever seen. I'm in jail. I'm innocent, but I'm in jail. I'm going to be the best prisoner that this jail has ever seen. Because I might be in prison for the rest of my life, but I'm going to make the best, the best prisoner. God can use people like that. God can use people like that. People that say, God, if you give me a go, whatever it is, I will do the very best I can. I want to encourage each one of us. Let's make the best of everything we can. Whatever you do, do it your very best. As the Bible says, as if you're doing it for Jesus. If somebody says, can you, can you clean the toilets in church? Yes, and I'll do the very best toilet clean. This toilet will sparkle. Be a sparkly toilet. I'm going to do the kids' work. I will pour my heart and soul in loving these kids and praying for these kids. Why? Because I can do the very best for them. If you're working for somebody at work, you teach you about to go back to school. I am the very best teacher I can be. My kids are going to be the best taught kids in the school. Why? Because I'm doing this for Jesus. And I am going to do my very best that I can. And God can use people like that. And I think this was Joseph's spirit inside him. This could be the best thing. The last time I get to this. Number three. Joseph kept following God's instructions. Even when it cost him. Even when it cost him. You see, as I said before, slaves in those days did do sexual favors for their masters. It was... I'm not sure it was, I don't know how normal it was, but it's definitely, it's recorded in history that it was normal enough for it to be, you know, normal. And um, so her asking, as weird as it sounds to us, wasn't strange in those days. But he had a, a moral code that presumably his parents had taught him about God, about his Yahweh, which meant he couldn't do it. He says, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I'll dishonor God. In fact, he says, let me just read um, in Genesis chapter 40. Let's just read what actually happened. Genesis 40, verse 6. They already beat me, haven't they? 40, verse 6. It's not Genesis 40, verse 6, is it? I'm sorry, tech guys. It's Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, but I will read it out. It says this. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern with anything except the day. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he, re- but he refused. Why are you laughing, Rich? That was a very bad uh, woman's voice now. With me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted in my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. That's something to say to the wife of the master, right? My master has withhold nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, he spoke to, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her wise boy. 
he had a moral compass inside him. He knew what was right and wrong. He was going to follow what God had called him to do, what God's instructions were, even if it was going to cost him. And in the end, it did cost him. And he went to jail. And I believe it's another characteristic that each one of us need to be careful to own, be part of God's plan. We need to follow what God has called us to do, even if it costs us at work. Somebody's bending the rules. Somebody's cheating a little. Somebody's bending the tax rules or the underhand stuff that does go on in our society. They're just kind of bending it. You go, I can't do that. It might cost me a contract. It might cost me a promotion. It might even cost me my job, but I cannot do that. Why? Because God's law does not let me do that. God can use people like that in his plan. And then fourthly and finally, Joseph recognized that his life was part of a bigger plan, God's plan. He recognized that his life was part of a bigger plan, God's plan. Genesis 50 verse 15 says this. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left us these instructions. This was a lie, by the way. Before he died, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed uh, against you and treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sinner of the servants of God, your father. When the message came to Jesus, uh, came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God had a plan and he intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many, many lives. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Tonight, do you realize that you're part of a bigger plan? A plan that God has. It began thousands of years ago, billions of years ago, maybe, when he created the world. It will end one day when he wraps it all up and creates a new heaven a new earth and sweeps away the tears and the pain and the sin and the disease and all those things that we hate being part of. It'll all be gone. He has a plan. And he wants to include you in that plan. And my question is, because for me, I believe that I am part of that plan, that my family's part of that plan. He has a plan for you. A plan for you to take part of his plan. Are you part of that plan. Amen.